Everything is real. I'm Natalie D. I'm Drew Toothpaste. And today we are talking about how John Titer, time traveler, is absolutely real. I love John Titer. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> John Titer was one of the very first and very oldest internet. I don't know what you want to say, occurrences? Plotline. I wouldn't call it a drama, but it was definitely something that you would tune in for. It was viral, and I'm not talking about five years ago viral. I'm talking about 1998 to 2001. Is that yeah, right? right? Is that the time period? Uh-huh. Very baby internet days. So who was John Titer? John Titer was the name of a supposed time traveler from Tampa, Florida, who was in the year 2036 and came back in time. And when he was back in time, he sent some faxes to Art Bell at Coast to Coast and then later was posting on an internet forum for the show. And he claimed that he went from 2036 to 1975 and then back to 1998 through 2001. And then in 2001, he went back to the future. A likely story, to be (laughs) sure. He's just bipping back and forth. And so this guy started by sending faxes. And we were talking about this earlier. There's nothing funnier than sending a fax to a radio show. Right. I like... (laughs) That a guy from 2036 would be like, all right, all right, we got this old green money. (laughs) We got these cars burning gas. What's left on the checklist? I guess I'm going to fax a radio. (laughs) Wasn't his time machine in the trunk of an old Chevy truck or something? (laughs) So there are many details to this story, (laughs) but yes. Now, I have really warm feelings about John Titer in the same way that I have warm feelings about the Lacerda files. Like, in my intellectual brain zones, I'm like, there's absolutely no way this shit is real. It's, like, pretty sure it's not real. But, like, in my heart, I like it so much that, like, in my heart it is real. It is such a great idea, and it is a classic literary trope, which is a time traveler. I mean, we're talking about Mark Twain did a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Right, right. We're talking about people out of time has always been a classic idea because everybody is a product of the time in which they live. I mean, when I am walking around and seeing Zoomers walk around, they look insane to me. Right. They visibly look insane. They're, <laughs> they're wearing acid wash jeans that are pulled up to their armpits and they're wearing what appear to be safety glasses. <laughs> I like the ones that look like little boys with pedophile mustaches. <laughs> like it looks like a 14 year old boy and he has like a little toucher mustache. <laughs> what are you doing, guy? You little buddy. <laughs> Right, I know I mentioned this. I am fearful that the Hitler mustache, the toothbrush mustache is coming back. I don't like it. I don't think it's great. And I think that the only reason it would come back is that people are not aware of the gravity <laughs> of uh, the context. I feel like Boogaloo boys would get them, but I don't feel like your average like college liberal guy would do the Hitler stash. I think that he would have the presence of mind to not look so Hillary. <laughs> wow. We'll see. We'll see if it comes back. I hope it doesn't. But you could easily pin me as being a 90s person. For sure. Yeah, me too. For sure. Just the, (laughs) the turns of phrase, the default, you know, just the way I move when I walk around. Right, sure, right. 
I feel like somebody with a telescope could watch my gait and be like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they were definitely a latchkey kid. (laughs) (laughs) Mom's not coming home for 75 minutes. Yeah, I mean, there's just something about it which was so tidy, and he never got ugly, he never got political, he never got, like, whatever. It was, like, so sanitized, and it was just, like, very pleasant. It was, like, the best of the internet, in my opinion. Like, every everything else that's happened on the internet, people copy off of it, or find out that the cat that plays a piano is also a, like, bigot. <laughs> the class that's the the milkshake duck my my favorite my favorite moment and i'm glad you brought up the cat that plays the piano my favorite thing is that there was in and this was in the oos there was the keyboard cat meme right. and it was just a video from the 80s and then some guy got the keyboard cat he got the rights to the cat which is buying the rights to a video of someone else's cat is like <laughs> weird to me but then that guy bought two more cats that looked like the keyboard cat to keep the meme going right that is really dire to me that is so dark right i would be reluctant to build my career around an animal that has a lifespan of about 10 years 10 to 15 years i mean it is you know grumpy cat had her moment in the sun you know setting aside whether or not the the owners were okay the owners were not okay but when grumpy cat passed on that was it right that was it and buying the new cat to keep replacing the keyboard cat when that was not even like the world's most popular thing. Incredibly dark to me. John Titor, on the other hand, he's not around. He's not trying to drag this shit out. And I will say, there are people who came in after the fact. So he was only posting for like four months. Right. From November of uh, 2000 to March of 2001, he posted on this message board, and then he was out. Right. He was gone. There there were some people who came in later and they came in years later and they're like, oh, I know John Titer. John Titer gave me a special keyword and told me that he's actually from the future. And like just all this. People try to jump on. Yeah, yeah, people tried to jump on, but the original guy is not there anymore. Right, he went back to the future. And that's the beauty of it. <laughs> really, the reason why I like John Titer is that it is a perfect story in all All of the details of the story are so ridiculous. He really weaves a tale. He builds a world for you, right? I mean, the things he says, they seem very specific, even if none of them come to pass. And, you know, we'll get to the reasons why it didn't come to pass, but... (laughs) So, flashback. 1998. Right. This guy faxes Art Bell's Coast to Coast radio show. Now, this radio show ran really late at night. Right. And it would have callers. He would talk about the paranormal. He would talk about UFOs. He would talk about, you know, advanced physics. He would talk about, you know, any kind of Fordian subject. Right. The crazier, the better. Of course. And the callers were always lunatics. But this guy was seemingly very calm and benign and rational. And he's like, hey, Art, um, I'm from 2036. And uh, I was sent back in time to get some technology from your time. And I'm going to go back to the future. I was supposed to go back already, but... I've kind of been hanging out because I've, like, made some friends. Right. (laughs) I made some pals here in the late 90s. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that was his explanation for why he was faxing a radio show. <laughs> right. He faxes the radio show and Art Bell, I think he only sent two faxes. Art Bell reads this on air and says, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Two years later, he hops on the message board and is like, hey, everybody, it's me. I'm John Titer. I'm the time traveler from 2036. And I wanted to get on and talk to people some more before I go back to the future. I will say that this afternoon I thumbed through some of the old message board posts that John Titer made. Like there was an archive of them. And the old chat room talk was like almost impenetrable to me. I could, I was like, I can't do it. It's like he would be in the middle of a story and someone would pop in and be like, hello room. And then everyone would be like, hi worm. <laughs> hi, how are you? Like <laughs> the old internet etiquette where you always had to announce yourself when you showed up at a website and everyone would greet you. <laughs> like it was cheers or something. <laughs> Well, and you have to keep in mind that the internet in 2000 was tiny. We're talking about who was online in 2000, maybe, I couldn't even begin to guess, but it was a single digit of million, maybe 3 million people, something like that, maybe. I wasn't even barely on the internet back then. Because to be on there at that time, you likely had dial-up, right? You had dial-up, and then in big cities, at least, you started seeing the rollout of, like, DSL, uh -huh. which was, compared to what we have now, it's still very slow. Mm -hmm. And dial-up was, you know, where the pictures would slowly load line by line. Right, right. If you were on a website and DSL, you know, it'd take a while, but they'd load, right? And so you could get on a chat room, and it could be one of the internet's few chat rooms, and there might be 12 people in there. Right. You might get on IRC, which was uh, Discord now. Discord is kind of like the modern equivalent of IRC, where you get on, there's different channels, you chat with people, and people can be in multiple channels, and you can DM people. It's basically the same shit, except it was all text. There were no images or movies or anything right, like right. that. But he came on the chat room, and he's like, hey, is anybody up? I'm a time traveler. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, ASL? People are like, that's cool. Where'd you come from? He's like, well, I'm a soldier and I live in Orlando, Florida, I think is where Tampa. he said. Tampa, Florida. Mm -hmm. He said he was stationed at the nearby base and he kind of went back and forth. And so the meat of the John Titer story is that he made claims about what was happening and he made predictions uh -huh. about the future. Right. And I want to dig into him, Natalie. Okay, I know you do. The headline that was the meat of the John Titer story, in my opinion, was that he was traveling back in time to get a computer. Uh-huh. An old computer from 1975 that he was going to need in 2036 to prevent the 2038 issue with Unix. Yeah, uh-huh. And he was also trying to prevent the Y2K thing. So when he first showed up in his, his original faxes, he told Art Bell, he said, the Y2K bug is going to absolutely destroy society. Right. 
Right. He said that the Y2K bug was going to cause an international disaster and that all of the power was going to go out everywhere and people would be dying on the highway trying to drive to places that were warm because they were so cold, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he claimed that when he was in 1975, he did something that would make it so it wouldn't happen. But Okay. But in the aftermath of that happening in his life timeline, it was like a mess. He said that all the people were dying on the highway. He said that it caused, like, a breakdown of American society. Like, they tried to band together underneath, like, a temporary government, but then they weren't able to get the power back on. And when they weren't able to get the power back on, everyone's like, fuck the government! And then they just overthrew (laughs) the whole thing. Yeah. And they had all kinds of problems getting shit together. He had this story about... I think it was in Denver, they were able to get a power plant up, and then once they got it up, people just attacked it and brought it back down, and they were like, don't rebuild the old way, we need to rebuild a new way. Mm. Now, <laughs> that is a charming story, but I have to report, as a citizen of the United States, we love power. Right. I mean, yeah, we love, yeah, like, oh, crushing other people. Yeah, but we love 120 volts. We love, we love all kinds of power. The one we can get it. The one that you stick in the wall, that's the most important important kind honestly i mean it is to me i need my air conditioning (laughs) so there was this instability after the fall of the american government and it led to a civil war in the united states that started in 2005 and eventually came to a head in 2008. And this American Civil War II would lead up to Waco events like every month, like all the time. That was one of his big predictions. And now, originally, when he said this stuff happened for Y2K, this was in the 90s. Mm -hmm. But then the Civil Wars, this was stuff he predicted in 2001. And he basically went back and said, well, the reason why the Y2K didn't happen in your timeline, and this is an important thing, he said it didn't happen in your timeline because me going back into the past and getting this computer from 1975, this changed the time timeline in such a way where Y2K ended up not being a disaster. Mm -hmm. And that's somewhat plausible. I mean, that's what he's supposed to do, right? Because Y2K ended up, remember how it was supposed to be huge? And then after the fact, like there were two things that happened. One was like a weather station in France said that the year was 19100. (laughs) All of the problems with Y2K were absolutely minimal. I remember people thinking that the power was going to go out at midnight. Right, right. I was definitely nervous about it. We have talked about Y2K in the past. There's actually a Garbage Brain episode in the archives. You got to check out if you're a Y2K head (laughs) or if you haven't heard it. But we talked about it at length, so I'm not going to keep going there. Right. But this happened because of the way that computers were handling the date. And this is also the basis of the Unix 2038 problem. Right. Now, this problem is essentially that the Unix time started at zero on January 1st, 1970. Mm -hmm. When you get to the year 2038, you overflow whatever numerical structure it is that keeps account of how many seconds have elapsed since January 1st, 1970. Right. It's like a 32 bit or however big the number is. And people did the same thing as when I had the new system set up for toothpaste for dinner. 
Center where they were like, how long does this go? And some guy's like, this will keep us going through 2038. And everybody's like, they'll make something newer than Unix by then. <laughs> right, we'll be doing something else by then, lol. <laughs> Like when my buddy's setting up all my code and he's like, okay, toothpaste for dinner. He's like, how far out should I, you know, code in this, this factor for like all these dates and everything. And I was like, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> no, buddy, I had to go back and fix that myself. That was a mess. <laughs> I Y2K38ed myself. <laughs> um, he said that the Civil War would steamroll until it ended in 2015 at the same time that world war three ends so it was going to be like a big war situation the civil war would only be ended with other countries going to war with us right they're probably going to war with each other too everyone's sure. just warring all over the place because you know the... there's probably all kinds of instability because y2k happened everywhere yeah i mean if it doesn't happen everywhere it's not a world war <laughs> right exactly exactly he said that the usa would split into five regions after the civil war Okay. And that World War Three would end with a nuclear exchange with Russia. And he called this N-Day. Like the letter N? Uh-huh. I thought N-Day was the day Elon Musk bought Twitter. <laughs> he said that Washington, D.C. and Jacksonville, Florida were going to be wiped out by nukes. <laughs> and that Omaha would be the new capital of the U.S. The two, Washington, D.C. and Jacksonville, Florida, of course, being the two most important cities in America. And he said that World War Three would kill three million people which doesn't sound like that much that's that is not very many <laughs> at eight all billion people buddy <laughs> as of right now on the books over a million people died of covid mm -hmm. this is not counting the excess deaths which basically doubled that if we had world war three i would expect it to kill more people right Right. Especially since World War Three would imply that's three million people all over the whole world. And if there were a nuclear exchange, maybe. And I don't know. I A lot of people confuse million and billion. I'm already apologizing for this stupid soldier. <laughs> He's a soldier, not three, a mathematician. Three billion people. <laughs> Three billion people, right. if you start nuking people, a lot of people are going to perish. There's eight billion people in the world now. Mm -hmm. I mean, they got hundreds of thousands in World War II with the, with the two atomic bombs dropped on Japan. But if you talk about the rest of the war, it was tens of millions of people who died in World yeah, War II. Yeah, absolutely. I, there were 20 million just Russians that died in World right, War II. Right. Russia is now continuing its program of dumping as many people as it can. Right, right. So he said that there was going to be an outbreak of a Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease spread by beef products. That happened. Did that happen after or before? Now, that happened in the OOs, but it was very minor. And what happened was they just killed a bunch of beef. Right. <laughs> they killed all the beefs. <laughs> they killed... <laughs> I think cattle might be the word. <laughs> the little buffs, they're all dead. <laughs> 
And, but remember, that was in England. Right. And they took them and they, they slaughtered them and they burned them and everything. And people did get Cruzfeld Jacobs from that time period, though, which wasn't a ton of people. They did. And enough people got it that when I donated blood the last time, they still asked, have you been to England during this period? Mm-hmm. Were you in England? Did you eat beef products during this period? Like, they're still... Now, the Red Cross is terrified of a lot of things, like gay guys. So... Prion diseases are really fucked up, though. If you have prions in your blood, though, I mean, and you pass them on, they dump that blood. The thing is with the Red Cross is they dump the blood in a big bin of blood. Right. And if you mess up the blood, they have to chuck the whole thing. And they can't or don't test for prions, I don't think so. I don't think you can, can you? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Prions are really creepy. Whenever I play, what's that game, the pandemic game on the iPad? Plague Inc. Plague Inc. Whenever I do Plague Inc., I always splash out and do a prion disease. Oh, yeah, that was always a fun one for me. But what I always like to do is make it real mild to start with and then... Well, I do that too. You make it real mild yeah. to start with and then you get people complacent and then you hit them. Yeah. Wipe them out. Yeah, you are here. Get some mutations. Get some mutations yeah. rolling and, and then the, what, next thing you know, people are puking blood in the streets and going crazy and shit. It's great. <laughs> so, okay, so... According to Titer, in 2011, he would have been 13 years old. Yeah. And he joined something called the Fighting Diamondbacks, which was a shotgun infantry unit in Florida. So he joined, <laughs> he joined the new American Army in 2011 as a 13-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Time travel, according to this guy, was invented in 2034, but this was... Another interesting thing to me with this story is that he said that no one was able to travel past the year 2564 into the future. And if you went beyond that point, there was nothing. I find that very interesting. And there was something we covered recently, and I think it was the remote viewing maybe, Mm -hmm. where people found that beyond a certain point, you could not view the future. Right. And they had pegged it as a different number. But it's very interesting. Yeah, that's really creepy. It's really creepy. But you know what? Everything ends. We are born to die. And this world was made to be destroyed. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be there to check that out too. Just like I keep on being reborn in this fucking place. <laughs> well, so in, once we get into time travel, I'm not going to lie. I like time travel. I think time travel is very interesting. And that is really what underpins this whole story. Mm -hmm. First of all, before we get into any of the other facts or anything else, John Titor kept saying whenever he would describe what was happening, he would say in your world line or in your timeline that this is happening, this is happening. And basically what he was saying was that he is altering causality by doing these things and just existing, just having gone back in time. And I find this very interesting, not for like the back to the future, like Marty McFly shit, but if material reality is a hologram that we're creating by being conscious. In other words, if our consciousnesses or everybody's individual consciousness or perhaps everybody's collective reality is just a hologram Mm -hmm. projected by the consciousness, then certainly if you have somebody else added to the mix, that changes the nature of reality. Right, right. They very recently did a study, and I believe I got this from somebody on the Discord. If I did, thank you. They did a study of people. I think I got this from Chi on the Discord. Chi, thank you. I, 
it was a study with people watching each other through a closed circuit camera. Uh-huh. They did a study because, you know, if you're in a place, sometimes you feel like somebody's looking at you, you turn around, somebody's looking at you. Right. They did a study that showed that people could tell when they were being observed. And it doesn't have to be a direct observation. It doesn't have to be line of sight. It can be abstracted through closed circuit television. Right. I found that really compelling. And that's like the observer effect. Right. That's what I was just thinking is I wonder, and you can't say that when someone watches you, it doesn't change the way you behave. It absolutely does. It's like you can do something perfectly and when you are being watched, it changes the way that you you are interacting with what's happening and the context of what you're doing changes. Mm -hmm. Now, in quantum terms, an observer doesn't have to be a person. Just to make that just to make that clear, an observer can be a photon detector. Mm -hmm. An observer can be It can be a camera like like us on the closed circuit. It can be anything physical in the universe that that deals with information. Sure, right. But just having a different consciousness in the world at a certain time and place would definitely change the way that reality is projected. It could be, you know, uh, the flapping of the butterfly's wings. You have these tiny chaotic effects that then lead to different things happening. Right. And in fact, John Titer, when he was posting, he alluded to this and he said, you know, I had to study a lot about this time in order to come back here uh, because like you said, he was 13 in 2011. So he was born in 1998. Right. And then he's going back to this time. So he didn't experience it the first time except as a baby, if his story lines up, which means that he had to study this time. And he said he was finding that shit didn't exactly line up. And he couldn't tell if that was because he changed the timeline or what. Right, right. So according to John Titer, time travel was based on what he described as a machine that weighed about 500 pounds and was hidden in the trunk of his car. He had diagrams and references to it being a Tipler cylinder, which is a hypothetical object based on general relativity. Mm -hmm. And he said that it was developed after CERN particle physics experiments were able to create this kind of effect. Okay. And he said that his particular time travel device that he had was made by General Electric. And he said that the breakthrough that CERN had that led to the development of time travel in the 2030s happened in 2001 or 2002. Okay. That is another interesting thing that did not happen in this timeline because CERN has not... Accomplished anything. Uh -uh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way to say that because they are they are people that work very hard right. and they're interested in the universe and they are trying to do interesting things and they have not invented time travel. Right. I mean, I'm obviously joking. If they have found or haven't found something, like either option is more valid scientifically. Finding out that something does not exist is also a conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> so the the thing with the Tipler cylinder. So there was a theory that came about in the 20s and 30s. And this was based on general relativity. And this is all mathematical, okay? Things change when you approach the speed of light, right? Mm -hmm. The idea was that you get a very long, infinitely long, in fact, rotating cylinder and you spin it fast enough and you generate these effects to where if you examine the mathematics of how this is happening, you create 
something in the locality, like a boundary effect on this cylinder, where the time axis is pointing backwards, where essentially you create something that mathematically happens so that at a certain point as you are traveling forward, you're going backwards in time. It is entirely theoretical. Right. Basically, this was was theorized in the 20s and 30s, some people kind of hanging on Einstein's coattails. And then finally, I think in 74, a physicist named Tipler came up with this idea and said, yeah, you could actually make this whatever. But the funky thing about that was that it has to be infinitely long, which is more matter than exists. Right. Because right. we have a finite amount of matter. If we're talking Einstein particle physics, turning on your flashlight at the speed of light type shit. Right. We have a finite amount of matter in Einsteinian terms. Now think about this. If we took up all the matter in the universe and we combined it into a single thing, wouldn't we then restart the Big Bang and go back to the very, very beginning? That's the time machine. That would... <laughs> That would be a time machine. That'd be like your mom picking up the phone when you were downloading something from the internet in 1998, and it's going to take you an hour to get it again. Right. <laughs> That's a long reset. That's a, yeah, right. <laughs> he said, like I said before, he said that he was there to pick up an IBM 5100, which was one of the first portable computers that was manufactured in 1975. And he implied that he needed this technology to solve a legacy code computer program that was a problem they were trying to deal with in 2036. Now this is like one of the details that people point out when they're like, this guy was real. Because like, how would he know that? Like, because he was a computer guy. Computer guys have known about this problem for a while. Computer scientists have known about the Y2K38 problem for quite some time. Right. And it it was only theoretical until like the past few years. And then we got into the 2020s and they're like, we are still using Unix. We actually have to fix this son of a bitch. I can't believe this. <laughs> Everyone likes to kick the can down the road. Oh, I love to kick the can down the road. For any Unix heads, I'm still using timestamp. <laughs> it should be the change you want to see in the world, baby. What's the other option? Is there even another option? All I'm going to do, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add another field to the database. And then as soon as the numbers run out, I'm going to just make it so that all the current entries in the database have a zero in that field. And all the new ones have a one. I'm just going to restart it. I'm just going to add like 429 billion, whatever the, the integer is. I'm just going to add that to the date. Yeah. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'm not going to fix shit. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. doesn't matter. How many times do you look at the timestamp anyway? Computers look at timestamps a lot. You though. You're paying that computer to look at the timestamp. You need to fuck with it. Who cares if it's ugly? <laughs> Well, you know what they say, if a solution works and it's stupid, then it's not stupid. Right, exactly, exactly. So people in these message boards asked him about UFOs, and he said that they were still unexplained in his time. But you know what? With that whole, like, near apocalypse with the Civil War and the, and the World War Three and stuff, I, I can understand them not having the time that we have to invest in thinking about it. Now, if that is what happened on the timeline, if you think about the timeline of the U.S. after World War War II. Like, there were all these fucking UFOs everywhere, and it got denied for 70 years. Right. And we weren't doing anything. I mean, Americans in America were at peace. Sure, we were sending the Army and the Navy other places right. To, right. to wreck other people's shit, but at home, mostly peacetime. Ran out of gas for a couple of years. 
otherwise okay. What I'm saying is I have the luxury of having a lifestyle where I can sit around and think about UFOs all the time, but I don't think that a 13-year-old child soldier from Florida would have nearly as much time to think about that. He was busy fighting the Civil War too. Yeah, and I, I don't... You know, I don't know where those boundaries were drawn, and I don't think he ever elucidated, but I gotta imagine that being a northerner, I would not have been on his side. Right, right. I had read something where John Titor was talking about Russia, and he was like, y'all should not see Russia as being some malevolent force or something that you should fear, because eventually Russia is going to be the one that bombs this country and saves us from the American government. (laughs) That was a twist. Yeah. He's like, that was an Russia enormous. Will liberate you. Wow. <laughs> wow. Save us from our government. Wow. Right. He's, he's like, the government is like fucked up and crooked and they are not ever going to do right by American people until Russia comes in and saves us all. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, the first half has happened. Right. Sure. I mean, I don't, I don't have anything to say about the government. <laughs> Um, he said that the Olympics would get canceled in 2004, but said that they might be back in 2040. <laughs> that was my favorite thing is all of the stuff he predicted out of everything he predicted. Basically, nothing came true. Right, right. And he said that the GPS system he brought with him from 2034 worked in 2000. <sighs> I mean, GPS coordinates are going to be the same regardless of what time it is, yeah? If it's the same satellites up there and it's the same system, I guess. I mean, we're still using Unix. Right. One of the things that he mentioned that I thought was very funny were people were already, and this is in 2000, so don't think that climate change is a new thing. People were asking him, like, what is going on with the climate? And he refused to answer. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) And this was something uh, about what he said that struck me, and it made him less credible, I think. He said he didn't want to give anybody any information that was going to influence like mass geographical movements or anything. He didn't want to tell people there's going to be an earthquake on this day because then all the people avoiding being in the earthquake would somehow like ruin the timeline or something. Yeah, 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 sure. But we all know about climate change already, man. (laughs) Yeah, the one thing... That seemed plausible was somebody said, yeah, you know, what about the ice caps? Is everything underwater? He's like, well, lots of stuff is underwater, but the ice caps seem like they're doing okay, which if the world was repeatedly nuked during World War III, would have meant that probably a lot of shit would have got blasted up into the atmosphere and the Earth might have cooled off a couple degrees. Right, right. That might have re-solidified the ice caps. In fact, one of the worst and scariest things I saw was a very cheery pop science article that said, scientists think we may just be able to dim the sun. And yeah. one of the one of the suggestions in the article that's like, what if we just make the sun dimmer? One of the suggestions was a limited nuclear blast. Mm-hmm. Right. Completely upsetting the balance of the solar energy hitting the Earth, like, is not a solution. And nuking the upper atmosphere 
so that we receive less solar radiation for a few years is also probably not the best way yeah, right. to solve anything. But I do like that he said that he was not going to tell anybody about anything that was going to happen. But then he would just matter of factly, he's like, yeah, everything's underwater. All the houses and all the buildings are like way up on poles. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably right about that one. <laughs> so what evidence do we have that Sean Titer and his claims are true? Um, back on the topic of the computer, right? After the John Titer post started going around the internet, there were IBM engineers who confirmed that the IBM 5100 had a unique quirk in its operation that was only known about by a handful of people at the time, maybe about 20 people, according to one of the guys I asked. And so that means that either he had some insider knowledge from being a child soldier from the future, or maybe he was a contemporary computer guy. <laughs> Both of those are equally possible, mm -hmm. so I'm going to give that the classic 50-50. <laughs> right. <laughs> Titer claimed that the many worlds interpretation of quantum physics is correct, which means that things that happened in his timeline may not have happened in our timeline. And he refers to timelines and world lines, implying that we are living in a timeline where Titer came back into the past and change things. And so his previous life was a different set of outcomes that occurred in a world that is different than the one he creates by coming back, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so one of his implications is that he took actions in our world line that prevented Y2K from being a disaster. You know, it was honestly shocking when I woke up on January 1st, 2000, you know, pulled back the curtains to see if the neighborhood's on fire. Right, right. Went downstairs, got the newspaper. The newspaper is like, nothing happened. Right. <laughs> Phew. <laughs> it was honestly shocking how little happened. Right. And in fact, I think that the media working everybody up about this may have contributed to people being unable to respond to crises in the future. Right. The media constantly crying wolf about this thing or the other makes it so that people are inured to this call to action or this call to panic when the average person, there's nothing you can do for Y2K. Right, right. And so whipping people into a frenzy again and again, it's just like the meteorologists have to tell you. The meteorologists have to tell you, look, there's a fucking hurricane coming. You have to prepare because it could be really bad and it will be great if it's not. But if there's a significant chance of it being bad, you have to get all your shit together, right? Right, right. And then, you know, it veers off. It turns into a lower category. All this people get rain, you know, their lawn furniture blows around and then they decide, well, I was told that it could be very bad and I had to hide and I hid and actually nothing happened. So in the future, I will not take this cost upon myself. Right. And I think that is something that echoed through time and had long term consequences. The media, whether it's Y2K or, or something else, blowing us out in making it so that if you panic about everything, you can't panic about anything. Right. But it really was crazy waking up and seeing nothing happen. Right. My hot take with the media is that I think we need to rein it in and go back to local news. We don't need to have 50 bazillion different news channels that are on cable 
that just are on 24 hours a day. Like, there's not that much stuff that people need to fret about constantly. No. They just manufacture shit because they have to fill up all day long of the news. But you know what? How could you always have 24 hours of news when every day is only 24 hours? That implies that there's constantly always stuff that you need to report on and get people mad about all the time. It's just not the case. And for a little perspective, 24 hours in the day of an average person has nothing unusual happening. Right, right. The average day has no news. Mm -hmm. No news. Mm -hmm. The news is just people saying something stupid and then creating an egregore of like some kind of idiotic thing someone said on Twitter and then trots the egregore out and being like, there's like a weird stupid puppet show with it until someone says something dumb again and they just toss off the old one and bring out the new one. It is. It's it's absolutely like Punch and Judy. It's antiquated and children don't even like it. Right. It's like you have like one set of characters. It's like this is side A and this is side B. Side B always responds like this and side A always responds like this. And then it's like they toss up the topic and they're like, let's see how they hash it out. And then it's like a really stupid like hungry, hungry hippos for idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike regular hungry, hungry hippos, which is for the intelligentsia. <laughs> it's a game for the literati right, right. when you think about it. Right. So when I was reading about John Hyder, I came across the story of a different time traveler. Yeah. Who I also liked. And this guy was named Andrew Carlson. And Andrew Carlson went and got into trading stocks and he hit the stock market and he had $800 and he took his $800 and made some investments and sold some stocks and bought some stocks and left with $350 million. And he was arrested because they said that he was doing insider trading. Yeah. And his story that he told the police when he was arrested for doing this was that he was a time traveler and that he came back specifically to participate in the stock market in order to make money for himself. Like, he came back in time to do that. That's what he told the cops. And the cops were like, ah, I don't know about that, buddy. I don't think that sounds very great. And... He was like, you know, if you want, I will tell you all kinds of information about the future. I'll tell you where Osama bin Laden is and whatever else you want to know. If you just let me go because I'm a time traveler, I'm not an insider trader. And they let him go. (laughs) And he disappeared and no one ever saw him again. Oh my God. (laughs) And we got Osama. (laughs) That's what's up. I liked that story. Now, you know how many other people have come back in time and traded stock then? Because there's all kinds of people that made all this money. What's to say Warren Buffett didn't do that? Warren Buffett's a weird asshole, but you have to be a weird asshole to go back in time and trade stocks. Right. I'm not doing that. Right. I mean, yeah, whatever. I'm at least a medium grade weird asshole and I don't do that. Oh, you're a nice asshole. I wouldn't let you go time travel anyways. You'll get stuck. You'll get stuck in some weird time. You'll hate it. I would totally get stuck. And then I won't be able to go get you because I'll be here in 2022. Think about it. (laughs) So what evidence do we have that John Titer was not real? Hold on to your pants. There are researchers in the late 2000s and zeros who found that there were IP addresses and physical addresses associated with John Titer in Celebration Florida. And in Celebration Florida, there is a 
organization called the John Titer Foundation, which was established in 2003 and run by an entertainment lawyer by the name of Lawrence H. Haber. And Haber's brother, whose name was John Rick Haber, is a computer scientist who would have known about the IBM 5100 and the year 2038 Unix problem. So the people were like, oh, maybe. But you know what? I heard about that 2038 Unix problem right after Y2K. Yeah. Because people were like, you know, that one didn't cause any problems. That one wasn't really real, but the 2038 one, better watch out. And I was like, that's never going to happen. I'm going to die before then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, I mean, that's just what we were talking about, where the crisis passes and people grab on to the next crisis to make sure that everybody is in a state of crisis. It's like monkey bars. It's like you can't stop swinging to the next crisis. Otherwise, you're not going to have anything to talk about and you're not going to get that fat CNN check. <laughs> you got a monkey bar in the next crisis real quick, buddy. Let's do it. So they think that maybe the John Titer Foundation was an attempt by this lawyer to capitalize on the popularity of the Internet Post. Yeah. There was a Italian TV show called Voyager and a website called Hoax Hunter that both pulled up Maury Haber, who was another one of Lawrence Haber's brothers as a possible creator of John Titer. I saw when I was looking into this that they also found that a lot of the people who he was interacting with in these message boards may have been sock puppets. Oh, so he created little accounts to ask him specific questions, which right. he intended to answer. Because an average person doesn't care about you. <laughs> they don't care if you're a time traveler. Fuck off. <laughs> you know, so this is a tell with the time travel. And I've thought about this, too, because I was reading some experience. I don't know if it was if it was Strassman or who it was who was talking about DMT. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they said is that, you know, DMT, dimethyltryptamine, this is something which is a powerful hallucinogen. And you take it generally, you know, if you're a modern person, you would smoke it. But this is the same thing as ayahuasca Mm -hmm. and Syrian rue. This is what people go to the jungle and do. And this, the Syrian rue is is a monoamine oxidase inhibitor. So it keeps you tryptamined out for hours. So you have uh, an extremely long, insane trip. If you smoke DMT in modern times, you know, you absolutely trip total balls for 10, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm, Right. Right? But one of the things, and this is really novel and useful because most hallucinogens have such a long duration of action because... For example, LSD, it preferentially binds your serotonin receptors and it can't get out of the receptor. That's why if you take acid, you're tripping balls for 16, 18 hours, right? right? right. It just can't get out of the receptors. It takes you a very long time to clear it out. DMT, you know, you go all the way up and you come all the way back down very fast. You see entities very often when you're under the influence of DMT. People call them machine elves. They call them like the cosmic goblins or whatever the fuck they call them, right? Right. And they seem to be part of the inner workings of the universe to people who are on DMT. And one thing that was noted by Strassman is that nobody has ever come back and reported actual verifiable information that was given to them by an entity that they were not already in possession of. In other words, people have even gone into this intending 
you know, setting an intent that I'm going to go in and I'm going to make contact with these entities and I am going to ask them to give me something that I don't already have or I don't already have access mm -hmm. to, a piece of information or something that proves that I'm in contact with an entity and nobody has ever been able to. Now, the John Titer thing strikes me the same way in that it is very interesting and you do learn a lot about yourself when you're thinking about it, but... There's no new information from it. And of course, I mean, the explanation works for me. It makes total sense. The story is still extremely interesting. Right. But without some independent piece of verifiable information, it is impossible to say whether it was real or not. Right, right. And similarly, when he did this, he went on this message board and he went and he posted and then he left. He didn't sell anything. He wasn't pushing anything. He didn't tell people to go to a certain shop and buy something, right? Right. He didn't tell people X, Y, or Z. He just posted for a while, and then he's like, I have to get in my Chevy truck and go back to the future now. Farewell. Right. <laughs> and then he was gone. And so the lack of commercial endeavor to me makes it seem like if there are people after the fact who are tied to something that has a certain name, well, if John Titer was real, he's not going to copyright strike you. Right, right. <laughs> he's not going to tell you to stop using his name, right? No, he's not, no. Um, there was a computer engineer by the name of Martin Pullman who applied for a patent for a time travel machine in 2006. That was based off of Titer's description and image of his Tipler cylinder machine. But that was probably someone capitalizing on it. It was not an implication that it was functional. Just applying for a patent doesn't mean you'll be granted a right, patent. Right, yeah. right. And the most obvious argument against John Titer being real is that none, zero of his predictions came true. <laughs> that is the funniest... <laughs> That is the funniest and honestly, the most charming thing to me <laughs> because Nostradamus is like in the year 20 and three, there will be a world war of three. Like, <laughs> like damn, man. Right. But like nothing this guy said came true at all. I was part of the shotgun troops in 2011. Where on Friendster? <laughs> I was a child soldier from Tampa, Florida. <laughs> it really feels to me like the apocalyptic visions of someone who lived in the 90s. Like, they couldn't imagine 2038. What could it even be like? Fucking crazy, like Terminator, right? <laughs> Actually, Natalie, I'm really glad you brought up Terminator because they were like, this is like, you know, such and such. And this reminds me of the film Terminator. And he responded, he's like, I have seen Terminator and Terminator 2. You motherfucker. <laughs> you don't have electricity. <laughs> overthrew the government and fought for your right to not have electricity. You <laughs> How did you make the fucking... It doesn't matter, John Titer. I still love you. <laughs> so what do you think about John Titer? Let's score this bad boy. Well, before I give you my numerical score, Natalie, 
I'm gonna do what we always do, ask people to hop in the Discord. If you're not a Discord member, patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity is how you get in. That'll also get you access to 330 Garbage Brain episodes in the archives. Rank what you think based on the evidence you've heard today. One, not real at all. Ten, completely real. We want to hear what you think about John Titer. What do you think? Grade him. Grade him. Grade him till it hurts. <laughs> I'm going to give John Titer a one. Okay. okay. I really like the story. And I personally remember reading about this at the time that it was taking place and thinking it was very interesting. This was one of the first wide scale vi- viral, occur- <laughs> uh, let's say a viral occurrence. Let's say it is it alternate reality? Is it a viral occurrence? Is it somebody writing? You know, I enjoy reading writing. And I think it's important to distinguish between do I like this as a concept, as a story, versus do I think it's real? I think that if somebody did time travel back into the past to do X, Y, and Z, I do not think they would have been hanging out sending faxes to coast to coast. Right. Now, I I like Art Bell in Coast to Coast. Yeah, me too. And the few times I tuned into it, like in the 90s, I was like, this shit's crazy. I still listen to Coast to Coast. Like if I am like in my streaming studio, I will put on Coast to Coast and sit there and listen to it the whole time I'm in there. I'm a fan of Ghost to Ghost, which is when they would have the ghost stories around Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) And so as... A story as something that was captivating and interesting and something that really does make you think. I truly enjoyed it. And I even liked going back and reading over this stuff in 2022 because... (laughs) It's fun. It's fun. If you're in 2022 and reading what people were writing on the internet in 2000 and 2001, that was a different time. Now you're the man out of place. You're reading what people are thinking about and typing. And even going back now and looking at this gives you this sense of what things were like and what people were thinking about online and off. Right. And so altogether, it was great to read and engaging. As for whether it's real, notable that literally nothing he said came true. (laughs) Not even one thing. (laughs) Um, I think the IBM 5100 is an interesting detail. However, if we're talking about Unix, there's nothing that the 5100, which was, as far as I know, this is related to IBM's old system 360. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything that this incredibly small computer that is barely functional even on the level of like a Nintendo or an Apple II. Right. I don't think there's anything that that could do that we couldn't do now. Right. I think any code that would be running on a machine that's compatible with that, you could chuck that in an emulator and fix it. Mm -hmm. I think that would be elementary for somebody in 2022. As far as the time machine that fits in the trunk of a Chevy, in the back of a Chevy truck, what was it? Uh, Yeah, I think it was a Chevy Suburban. I don't know. Corvette. I don't fucking know. I I like that detail. Uh, There was really an extensive back and forth between John Titer and some of the people on the message board as to the mechanics of the time machine. And the more he answered, the more the more it seemed not that he was a soldier and didn't know what was happening, but it seemed like he was kind of 
digging a hole. Right. <laughs> um, as you might imagine. And you know what? Maybe this was the guy's first time at writing this sort of interactive fiction. If I went back in time to the Middle Ages and I showed him my cell phone and they were like, whoa, how does that work? I'd be like, ah. If you would say, honestly, I don't know. It's advanced technology. You would not be like, well. In 2001, there was a breakthrough with CERN. <laughs> Which think- led to the eventual development of my telephone. <laughs> Now, the word telephone is funny because it originally meant something that would ring. (laughs) So I think this is the first time I've ever given something a one. One out of ten. John Titer, I'm sorry. I hope you're happy wherever you are. And I really liked your story. But I just don't think it's real, man. I think that in my heart, I would like to give it a ten. (laughs) A ten in my heart. But on the final record sheet, I'm also going to put a one. John Titer, I don't think is real. I think that all of the business with the computer and like, oh, who could even know that? You know who could know that is one of the 12 people who were on the internet in the 90s because guess what? They're all fucking internet computer people. They were all computer guys. They are all like old computer nerds who have been programming turtles to make squares since like 1982. (laughs) It was literally the, the only people who would have known about it were the guys who were on the internet back then. Yeah. (laughs) this was an internet guy who was having some kind of back to the future terminator fantasy Mm -hmm. because like the trunk of the car with the time machine in it and like 2038 with child soldiers and like post-apocalyptic wasteland it was like a little bit theatrical to me i think that he did a great job he really did a great job building a little world for everyone to explore with their minds and for that i appreciate him greatly but he was not real (laughs) but but you know what everything is real right so maybe john titer is like a tulpa we learned about tulpas recently maybe my love of john titer has created a john titer entity that exists in an alternate dimension and in that sense john titer is real maybe and you know ultimately with A story that ends in, well, you wouldn't know because it didn't happen in your timeline. It happened in mine, which you can't see. (laughs) And also, my girlfriend's from Canada. (laughs) Ultimately, (laughs) unprovable. Right, right. Unprovable. The perfect story. Right. The perfect story, really. So again, we'd like to hear from you. One, not real at all. Ten, totally real. Do you know who John Titer didn't mention? Corey Grella. I think if I came back from the future, I would definitely say how the number one insurance agent in Alaska was the elegant and intelligent Corey Grella. You know, she does a good job in our world line, but who's to say she even turned out to be an insurance agent in John Titer's timeline? Maybe she was... President. Maybe she was president of one of the five United States. Right. <laughs> the Alaskan one. Oh, clearly. <laughs> Congratulations, President Corey Grella. Congratulations to her. And you know, a place that, you know, we heard Omaha, Washington, D.C., uh-huh. and Jacksonville, Florida, like I said, the three most important cities. Right. But you know what? They didn't mention Harlem Township, which is going to be the new financial center of the world. Yeah. And <laughs> in our world line, Harlem Township is a beautiful, calm place where you can go to relax on the Hoover Dam or uh, visit some of the numerous acres of forest, grassland, and wetland that exist between modest plots of homes. 
I'm going to go to Harlem Township from the future and flip $800 into $350 million. That sounds great. Buying and selling horses. Right. That's the way to go. (laughs) That's how I made my fortune. Well, thanks to Corey Grella and Harlem Township for sponsoring us as they have for quite some time. If you'd like to sponsor Everything Is Real, hit up patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. We'll tell everyone how great you are. Thanks again for listening. And remember, everything is real. I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.